Okay, welcome back, folks, uh, to Zupi, the Autotelic Mindset Podcast. Uh, joining me today is uh, Greg Stewart, uh, Olympian gold medalist, my first gold medalist and Paralympian athlete uh, on the show. Uh, he is, I guess it's F46 shot put Paralympian. So I'll, I'll kind of get you to explain what that exactly means, uh, but that's kind of um, his sport um, and the title, Paralympian gold medalist. Uh, Greg, thanks for uh, coming on board here. I greatly appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Not a problem. I appreciate you reaching out and uh, thinking about me and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, just to clarify. So yeah, I'm a F46 Paralympic shot putter. Um, the F46, F stands for field. There's T and F, track and field. Um, okay. F being field because I'm a shot putter. And the 46 is the ambulatory classification. Um, so I was born missing my left arm below the elbow. Okay. Um, and so that's what my Paralympic classification is. Uh, there's multiple other classifications from people with uh, cerebral palsy, blind athletes, uh, lower limb deficiencies, um, you name it kind of thing. It's uh, uh, the, the unique thing about uh, the Paralympics and whatnot is there's just a high level of inclusion and they do a really, really good job of uh, representing everyone. So, yeah. Awesome. So I, I got a little bit of a question to start off. Based upon a post that you made, and I kind of want your opinion because I read it and I was like thinking about it, and you said sometimes how you can get labeled as an Olympian or a Paralympian. Um, and being a Paralympian, how do you like to be recognized? Did you pose that question to the people out there? And it seems like a simple question, but when you really get to think about it, it's kind of, it can be a difficult question with regards to, because you're separated from Olympians and then the Paralympians, should it just be one? Uh, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great question. Um, it's still a question even today where I'm still kind of trying to understand it myself. Um, but one of the big things that um, I'm always kind of in a mindset of trying to recognize at least is the view of the person that is presenting with me, whether I'm a Paralympian or Olympian. So if somebody calling me an Olympian, even though I'm a Paralympian, um, you know, I think there's importance to... Um, you know, allowing people to know, like having the knowledge around the fact that I am a Paralympian, but at the same time too, I don't want to take away from their experience. Um, and what I mean by that is if they feel strongly that I'm a Paralympian or an Olympian, um, and that's their viewing and everything like that, I don't want to take that away from them. It's like the whole concept of when somebody says like, Hey, you did a really good job there. And then you deflect that instead of saying thank you and be like, oh, thank you. Well, I didn't really do all that great or anything like that. They don't actually get to live that experience of being like going out, being vulnerable, sharing that, hey, we're really grateful or really happy with what you did when you deflect it with the, oh, well, you know, I didn't actually do that great or that sort of thing. Same kind of concept. So, you know, when I'm coming across kids or families and they're like, oh, look, it's that it's Greg Stewart, the Olympian, the gold medals, uh, gold medalist uh, uh, Olympic athlete. Um, you know, I'm, I don't want to steal their thunder. I don't want to take, you know, take away from that experience. But at the same time, too, it's Paralympic, right? Olympic. They're still, you know, they're very, very similar words. And then if you were to look at the Paralympic movement, um, our logo are called the Ajitos. They're three little uh, swooshes. And those mean parallel to. So parallel to the Olympics. So realistically, in my mind, because we're kind of, we're, we're not, we're not um, above or below or beside, we're running parallel with, whether I'm a Paralympian or an Olympian, 
to me kind of almost seems it feels the same way don't get me wrong there are people in the paralympic movement that are no you are a paralympian that's the only way to go and um that's totally fair but right now i i uh i'm just taking what uh, whatever kind of shows up and i'm grateful that i can just be part of uh, any type of movement and be able to c- compete at that world stage so yeah i like that answer i like that and like this a lot of this you being my first paralympian a lot of this uh, information is going to be uh new to me which um which I, I like doing these podcasts, learning about uh, different sports and kind of like you said, there are different movements as well. So like I said, before we started talking, I had a little kind of story about how I kind of came across you. Uh, and I kind of believe like things kind of happen for a reason. Um, you know, when I'm looking for my athletes, it's usually from a friend of a friend or I come across them somehow and just I make a connection. I'm like, I want to try to reach out to this person. Um, so I was just kind of scrolling through my social media and clicking on. Um, just different social accounts and um, came across uh, your name and clicked on your feed and started listening to some of the stuff you were preaching about. And that really hit me, hit home with me with regards to mindset, balance uh, of life. And right away, I didn't hesitate. I want to reach out out to you right away. And um, lucky enough, you're pretty quick to reply, which sometimes with the athletes in their schedules, you don't get that right away. You got to be patient. And Literally, I kid you not, that same day, I got a message from, let's see if you remember the name, is Jason McClintock. Jason McClintock. He's not the waker uh, ski guy, is he? Water skier, yeah. Water skier, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I had him on, and he messaged me. He's like, Ryan, like, you've got to you gotta uh, have this guy on your show as a guest. Uh, and he says your name. I'm like, mind blown, like, I'm like, Jason, I literally just messaged him and he replied to me like, and I'm like, this is just meant to be. I'm like, I got to have you. I got to have you on just some of those uh, things that come across. And I think it's just, like I said, just meant to be. Um, yeah, and yeah. It, was, it was a funny little thing. Like, I kid you not, that day he messaged me and was like, I met this guy in the airport. Like, I think he'd be a great, uh, a great uh, athlete to have on your show. So that's funny. Yeah, it, it, Jason and I were, that was a very random interaction because we were waiting in the, I think it was the Calgary International Airport. And he was like standing in front of me in our lineup. We talked for like two minutes and then we hopped on the plane and that was it. And then I, when we landed in Atlanta, um, he was going down to like Miami. I was going down to Bradenton, Florida. And he, uh, I went to some restaurant, like not near the terminal where we landed and I sat down, but it was right at the entrance and he walks up the stairs and I'm like, do you want to join? <laughs> and then, so we got talking and, um, you know, I shared with him, just kind of like my sporting background. Then he was telling me he was a, like a national team water skier and everything yeah. like that. And then I had my medal with me. And so we got some pictures together and everything like that. It was oh. such a random interaction. And then, yeah, you're telling me this now. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> thanks Jason for bringing us all together. So crazy how things uh sometimes come come to fruition <laughs> absolutely absolutely so i want to get into this with regards well i always like to start kind of at the beginning obviously you were born uh missing the lower part of your arm so you know i'd like to think as a child you you developed a certain mindset um just not having your full arm like other kids so kind of walk me through just growing up um and what it was like as a child and then I can see from your background right now, you're heavily involved in sports, uh, many sports. Was that always the case or was that something you kind of grew into? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one thing that I think is really important 
and it's important on in my story and whatnot because I was born missing my left arm that's the way life started right um, I didn't have uh, an accident I didn't have anything that all of a sudden um, during my life all of a sudden a huge like adaptation I had to learn relearn everything um, because I was born this way that has been my life forever it's a question I get all the time but people are like well how does it feel to have one arm and my honest my answer is how does it feel to have two because I don't know any better yeah um, and I think that's really important because that has helped shape my life to where I'm at today um, I've always been in sport. Uh, I, uh, I started with soccer, like many kids do, you know, just, just run around, kick a ball, just, you know, burn some energy so you can sleep tonight kind of concept. I shortly after that played lacrosse for about seven or eight years. Um, again, I wore a prosthetic when I was doing it just to allow me to hold the stick a little bit better. But one thing that people don't know in this podcast right now is I'm also really, really tall. Uh, so I'm actually seven foot two. Um, and I just weighed myself, I'm 357 pounds, which is a little on the heavy side for me right now. Um, but I'm, I'm a large guy and everything like that. So back in those days when I was a kid, like let's say nine or 10 years old, I was a little bit taller than most of the kids. Okay. Um, kind of where my, my peak for an adolescent was, is I was six foot eight when I was 14 years old. Oh, wow. So I, I've kind of been tall my whole life. Then I was super, super skinny. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm still skinny, but, um, I was a, you know, my height drastically impacted my life and everything like that. But I've always kind of been, been in sport. And honestly, around that 14, 15 year age, that's, I think, when I really started to look into high performance sports or at least compete at a higher level. Because um, I, at 15, I joined our national disabled volleyball team. And I did that for about 15 years. Um, and then, uh, took a little break there and then that's when I got into shot put. So I've kind of multi-sport there. And at the same time too, I played five years of university basketball at Thompson Rivers University, uh, which, you know, that was an able body sport. So I've kind of done, done a mixture of both, the both been in the able body side and the uh, para side, basically my whole life. I'm actually playing rec league soccer right now. Nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, coming out of retirement 30 years later. Uh, and playing that with a girlfriend and stuff like that. So, yeah, the sport's kind of been, it, it has been my life, honestly, for the last 20 years. Um, it's it, it impacts my daily life on a daily basis. Um, and I'm very grateful that I did choose to go that. Um, but with my arm and everything like that, I kind of said at the very beginning, it was just all about learning to adapt. Um, I know I'm seen different. I'm seen more different now because of my height, not even because of my arm. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's kind of funny. Little kids notice my arm more than adults do. Uh, I think it's because adults or for sorry, uh, little kids, children, everyone's a giant to them. Or you said you tucked in your little one. You know your your little one's a lot smaller than yourself and everybody else around you. So they adults are all seen as giants. But what uh, children notice is they notice differences. They recognize when something's different and because there's you know innocent children they don't at that time they don't know not to say anything so they always point out oh what happened to your arm oh man who cut off your arm you know all those kind of all those conversations and so you know i've always kind of i've always been well aware of my arm on top of it being somebody who's labeled as disabled and don't get me wrong i know i am and i'm grateful to be disabled because it's allowed me to do what i'm doing today um, there's always this sense of, and this is more of a mindset concept, uh, conversation is, um, 
the sense of wanting to be a part of something, wanting to fit in, right? You know, growing up, you know, with social uh, pressures and everything like that, all we want to do is have something that where we feel a belonging of some sort, or we have that sense of connection. And so for me growing up, that's all I ever wanted. And then all of a sudden I got really, really tall and then sports kind of paved the way after that. So that's kind of like the quick intro to how sport started for me. Awesome. And do your parents play a big role in this? It seems, um, do you come from a background of family that played sports or just something they, you kind of just gravitated towards and they said, you know, kind of run with it. Yeah. You know, my, my family's, uh, an extremely loving and supporting one, uh, but we're not, we're not an athletic family, I'd say. Um, myself, my older brother, maybe are the ones that do a little bit more uh, physical activity. Uh, but I'm definitely the one that's gone over and beyond in terms of high performance. Uh, my dad was an RCMP, uh, okay. basically throughout Canada there. Um, so he was a police officer for 40 years. And um, I, moved, I moved around a lot. So it was also kind of tough to stick with a certain sport because I was constantly moving and, you know, depending on the community that you're in, some are hockey heavy, some are basketball heavy, you know, yeah. some are volleyball heavy, right? So you just kind of adapted to the uh, the community that you're in and you just took part in what you could take part in. And I so I think that played actually a big role in all the, the multiple sports that I played over the years. Um, but don't get me wrong, my parents were still huge supporters. They were definitely ones to be like, hey, if you want to do it, do it. We'll definitely, uh, you know, support you and help you do your best at it. But if you also don't want to do it, don't do it. And we'll support that, you know, action too. So um, they were, uh, they were, they were great supporters, but they definitely weren't the uh, ones that had the athlete exactly. background. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's funny, you're kind of talking about different sports and a lot of, a lot of these conversations that I have, I oppose the question and it just gets uh, brought up um, organically is, you know, is it better to be a multi-sport athlete and then have to make that decision? Or do you believe in specialization and sticking to one thing and just becoming extremely, extremely well, good at it? So from your point of view, what, what would you suggest or what do you, what's your opinion? The timing of this question is very unique. <laughs> so I'm like, I tweaked my back two days ago. And I got a hip injury right now because I've been doing sports other than shot put recently. I've been golfing and playing co-ed soccer, okay. which are not any but related to shot put. Um, and why I'm bringing this up is because I think it's important that we're always doing multiple sports. Now, don't get me wrong. I think my success to shot put came from only doing shot put. But it's the after part. You know, if I... The, the discussion I've had with my coach is that, you know, I want to do multiple things. I want to make sure that I have cardio. I want to make sure I have overall strength around my body, strength on my left, strength on my right. Um, you know, good core strength, everything like that. Um, but shot put is all about moving heavy weights fast, right? So it's all about heavy lifting, pushing hard, lifting hard. Um, but it kind of take you kind of take away from the, um, the other little muscles that are just kind of your supporting muscles and stuff like that. No cardio. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The only cardio I get is from lifting a heavy weight really quick. Right. Um, so, you know, I think it's important, you know, getting out, going for walks, going for a run, doing something that's increasing the heart rate other than just, uh, uh lifting. Um, you know, 
getting out, you know, working on my footwork, moving my feet around, everything like that. I think everything can support itself down the line. Um, I think being very sport specific can be good for the sport. But I think it's also important that your body can recognize other movements because when it doesn't, that's when you create injury. And that's what I'm dealing with right now is I'm in a place of injury because I'm doing other things because my body doesn't know what the heck, what the hell is going on because it's only used to certain movements. Uh, and so I think it's important that we uh, give ourselves the opportunity to take part in other things. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, if you want to be a high performance, you know, figure skater or speed skater or track and field, hockey, whatever, um, you know, maybe during the season, you're specific to that. But in your off season, doing other things, you know, um, what was, was it, wasn't it great, uh, Wayne Gretzky that played hockey and then would figure skate and, you know, in the off season, off season just to work on his um, ability to skate and move around people and everything like that. Like, you know, I think having multiple sports under your belt will definitely help your career moving forward. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I like your points that you made there. Uh, I agree with, with them, but like you said, it's hard. I asked this question because like you said, we're in a special time where athletes are like the level that athletes are getting to at now younger ages. Um, a lot of times they're because they're focusing strictly on that sport or they idolize someone or an event. It's like the technology, the coaches are so um, have so much knowledge that specializing them gets, I said, it increases their uh, time of development uh, at times because of our knowledge of what we know in the sport and even in the fitness room, because the fitness room is very key to, uh, to sports as well. So um, I'm a multi-sport athlete growing up. And so I kind of, I kind of lean more to that way. And I agree with like developing other spots, other parts of your body and your just spatial awareness is, is huge. Um, but just with the knowledge and background, these coaches, players, athletes have access to, I find um, you're seeing a little bit more specialization, uh, if not at the beginning, more uh, like sooner than later, so to speak. Um, yeah. so just well, like, I like it, to bring that question up. Totally. No, it's a great question. So my girlfriend is a, um, she's a soccer coach, uh, for an academy here in Kamloops. And we have this, we have this conversation quite often actually. And, um, you know, for instance, she coaches a U7 soccer team, no, a U7 academy team. So not just like, you know, general rec running around, you know, kicking a ball, like they're, they're training them on the technique. They're training them on the movement, the understanding of the sport. If you were 10 years old and joined that group that started, you're three years behind already. Yeah. Right. And they're kids. And then there's such a toss up here because it's like, well, yeah, you, you know, I also think that I think there's a lot of, you know, um, supporters out there, you know, um, guardians, parents, uh, coaches, everything like that, that have that expectation that their child is going to be the next best and greatest. Um, and there are millions of them, right? Millions, and you know, maybe even billions, who knows? Um, and, you know, it's good to have that mentality in a way, but it's also important to recognize that there's still a children and there's that mentality too. And there's that development that we also need to take into consideration because when we're not, well, what are we actually creating then? Right. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious what, you know, 25, 30 years looks like from now when these children are, you know, 
being put into these high developing sports at a very, very young age. And, uh, you know, whether they're going to be coming out of a place being like, well, I missed my childhood. Yeah. I didn't actually get the opportunity to, to experience it. Right. I had that experience when I was 15. I didn't really get to experience like my 15 to 18 year old because I was on a national team. Right. And so like when I was 20, 21, I was kind of like in this mental space being like, oh man, all I want to do is just hang out with friends and like party a little bit. But you know, um, when I'm 15 years old, but you know, 15 years old, right. You know, uh, 17 years old, just, um, I just want to hang out with friends and like do stuff Yeah. Where before, you know, I'm constantly getting drug tested. Um, you know, always I'm represent representative of uh, Canada. Um, you know, I'm always in a place where I'm being watched over. Yeah. And it's almost like, well, I lost that part of my childhood. It's just like all the, you know, all the kids the last two years with COVID. So many kids are like, I just lost the last two years. I lost my graduation. I didn't get to grad with anybody. I didn't get to actually take part. I'm coming into this, um, into the university very lost because these last two years were so unstructured that I don't know what I'm doing at the university level. So that was a rant. But I don't know if you want to edit that out. <laughs> No, that's okay. It's, you know what, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm talking about sports, but like, this is life too, right? Making sacrifices and, you know, did the friends, the social life kind of have to take a bit of a, um, a seat to the side in order for you to, you know, increase your performance in the sports field and vice versa. Do you need to kind of step back from sports and, you know, hang out with the friends and family um, just to create that balance in life? Um and I think as you move up your career, that I call my balance board, you know, sports, your career, your friends and family's relationships, personal development, you know, it changes as you grow. And as an athlete, and we'll talk about um, as well is like just making those changes where, where they need be in order to create, um, create that balance. So no, it's, it's, it's a good point and uh, relevant to where we'll go with this conversation. Uh, just saying, saying that I want to just learn more about, um, shot put. And I always ask my athletes because every sport has different qualification process. Uh, Olympics being a four year, um, process, how does shot put, uh, how do you qualify for the Olympics and how's that process work? Um, so for the Paralympic games, uh, it's all, all the same as the Olympics. Um, so you have to throw standard. Um, so in the track and field, you, qualify like three to six weeks before the meet it's before the olympics themselves oh, wow. um, so team sports it makes sense for them to select the team about a year before because then you can you have the team together you can work out any like the bumps and quirks and whatnot um, but on an individual sport level you know i think they want you to be at your best right before the games are there so that you can even excel at your best there uh, so like selection and everything like that was the games were the end of August and they were selected at the end of July, middle of July, I think is when our, our Paralympic team was announced. Um, but yeah, uh, in order to get selected, you got to, you know, have standard, um, in our case, I think it was like 15, 20 or something like that. My PB going into, uh, uh the games was 1630. So. You know, I was fine there. And then, um, um, yeah, basically just go from there. So that's basically selection. You just got to, you know, obviously you got to declare that you want to go to the games. You're, you know, that you're a Canadian citizen and everything like that. But that's just more the political spectrum of it. 
Um, but yeah, throw standard and uh, go out there and do your best. And then, so say you throw standard, you still have to like, yes, you're, you make Team Canada, but then you have to, you know, beat out other countries. You have to be in a, a certain, you have to be ranked uh, internationally to get there as well. True. Um, so yeah, there, I guess there is that other side to it. Um, yeah, so on the Paralympic level, you have to be, I think you had to be considered for top eight in the world on the Canadian side. So to make standard, um, you have to be ranked, um, I think, top eight. And then on the Paralympic side, at a world event, so like world championships, depending on how the team does, determines the amount of slots that are available for athletes to compete at the games. Okay. Um, we didn't have a great showing at the world championships. So the guys only had, what did we have? We had nine available slots and then the women have had six available slots. So we only had 15 or 15 or 16, I think in the end. So it was a smaller team. Um, I got second of world. So I had a slot for us. Uh, and so that was why I was able to go and compete. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how like the slots work and then how you, yeah how you get selected onto the team and gotcha yeah it always just blows my mind like how when you when you talk about it how hard it is to make the olympics i don't care what sport it is it's like those like you said you only have so many spots right yeah uh, yeah well and, and that's paralympics too like paralympics is, is different like that's how we get selected but then on the olympic side it's also based on points yeah Right. And so depending on the meets that you attend, how many points you get for depending on how, you know, whether you win or lose, um, you know, it's all it's all points, which then creates a ranking system. And that's when you get determined for your uh, your event and whatnot. Awesome. So what was your I was talking about goal setting, you know, for Olympics, it's a four year process. How do you break that down into year by year, month by month, day by day to hit that like you're saying that peak just as you're you're heading into uh the games um it's funny i i think i have a different approach when it comes to setting goals um I, you know it's something I've, I, I right now i've been tossing up a lot but like the, the path and the direction that i chose um for goal setting was not so much setting goals but more so as setting intentions um and i'm still playing with the wording ar around it um, but for me, it was more just a daily in the moment kind of intention, um, because, you know, sports a really interesting thing. We set these goals or we set these intentions for like outside of us. So way over here, we want to go to the Olympics or the Paralympics, or we want to win a gold medal, or we want to, uh, you know, make standard, you know, that's the ultimate thing. But in order to achieve that thing there, we have to be in the moment now to make it happen. But we are so good at not being in the now and focusing on the whole process and making ourselves feel overwhelmed or not good enough or not competent enough to achieve that end result. Um, and I just, I found that over the last few years, my, my main focus was to not kind of get caught up in that um, external side. Don't get me wrong. I'm still a human and I still definitely got there. but. Um, to put more practice and emphasis on okay well today i'm just you know i'm gonna breathe today i'm just gonna show up to practice you know today i'm just gonna you know i may not eat the healthiest meal but today i'm gonna eat a, a good meal that you know can fuel myself for tomorrow that's what where my focuses are going to be you know 
I'm going to get mad at my coach. You know, I, the intention wasn't I was going to get mad at my coach, but if my coach said something and I was going to get, and I got frustrated about it, I was going to get frustrated about it. Um, and just allow myself to kind of be in it more. Um, because the more I was in it, the less I was focused on like what the outcome would be or what the, you know, what the achieving the great thing outside of me, because like, I don't have control of the thing that's outside of me. Like I can't do anything for that. The only thing I can do is, you know, um, take charge of my actions and commitments that I'm doing now and then create for what can happen tomorrow. And so, uh, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of changed my view on the whole goal setting um, because you, uh, like I'm hearing myself, I think I still set them, but I don't put near the, uh, the pressure or near the uh, uh, amount of work or whatnot around it, because I think in a way it's, it's a direction, but it's a meaningless direction because if I'm not focused on now, it doesn't matter what. Hundred percent. I I agree with you. And we always I always get into like flow, finding flow state, right? Um, yeah. With these athletes, and a lot of times my my thing is like, why don't athletes? Why is this term flow state not being brought up more? But then I'm having these conversations with the athletes, and we never say flow state, but we talk about the now, the present moment. Uh, so it's constantly being brought up. And I think talking to these athletes and talking to yourself is, you know, putting strategies in place or tools that you have in order to keep you present because like you said you know you're a human being we get sidetracked and especially with like media um the world's moving so fast and we're seeing things uh real time it's hard sometimes not to get caught up in the future um and having goals and putting those pressure pressure on you so i think finding that balance and trying to get into that flow state that present moment of now i think athletes talk about it all the time we just don't the ter term flow doesn't always uh arise um but it, it's it's always it's always there and um it's just finding those moments uh like you said day to day uh tournament to tournament um and tapping into those those moments um like you said through practice and through some of your the tools you have access to whether it's you know in the gym your coach technically I know we'll talk about is uh, you have someone you just talked to about, about everything, whether it's a life coach, sports performance, different names. Um, and we'll get into that as well to create uh, balance. And like you said, when the final result or the final outcome uh, kind of disappears, we're able to tap into, I just called them the feel goods. And that's where we perform our best. Uh, I truly believe in you're speaking from personal experience. Um, and I like it too, because you're talking about your day-to-day, -day, right? Like you said, eating a meal um, doesn't always have to be competing. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's such a great, um, it's becoming more talked about uh, with regards to um, the mental health side of things. But I like to kind of back it up and kind of go off with what you're saying. I just call it self-care, right? We're talking, if we're taking care of our mental uh, side, then hopefully things don't escalate to the the mental health side but i think everyone can use self-care and it's different for everyone uh so i like your your philosophy around uh goal setting and trying to stay present uh and in the moment as much as possible well totally and i, th I think it's really important like we had this conversation the other day on a another podcast there and it, it, it's like we go to the gym to you know take care of our health 
and our physical fitness, you know, we eat right so that we feel good, you know, but how often are we actually nurturing and taking care of our mental health side of things? And it's, it's not very often now. Well, sorry, I can't say it's not very often because it is important that we, you know, we take that time to think about the food that we are going to eat. You know, we're not, instead of having a greasy burger, you know, we're having a salad, you know, we are taking care of our mental health that way. But it's the thoughts and the feelings and the the body-mind connection that we don't often talk about or look at. And um, it's very, very important, right? Um, You know, uh, if we're not maintaining, if we're not having that balance like you're talking about, um, you know, something's going to happen. And it's not something's going to happen. It will happen, right? It's not, it's not going to happen. It will happen and we will all ex- experience it. Uh, it's just when, but if you're taking care of all of it, you know, and taking care of the tools and whatnot, it might not feel as bad. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, so, yeah, just going off of this, like I like to call it the balance board, and like we're talking about, uh, my question to you is, um, how did you, how did you get in tuned to this idea of being in the present moment um, and kind of living your life this way because for a lot of athletes and people in general it takes a lot of years or experience to like tap in tap into this uh type of stuff and then to that question I know you talked to um you can tell me if it's a sports psychologist uh performance coach mindset coach you can tell me how did you know to find someone and you knew that would elevate your game or you knew it's important to uh your performance are kind of my two questions around that. Yeah, so um, kind of what got me to the place of, you know, practicing a little bit more of a mindful approach. When I finished playing university basketball, I was the CIS Defensive Player of the Year. I was on a bit of a high, um, and I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll go play pro. Um, I ended up not playing pro, and I ended up graduating. But my last year of university, um, I wasn't playing basketball because of my, I had no more eligibility left. And I felt that disarray of feeling lost, confused, um, going through what almost, I will almost say almost every athlete goes through, especially at like a high performance level, an identity crisis. Yeah. Self-identifying, um, you know, cause forever I was like, Oh, I see myself as Greg, but realistically in, in real life, I was seen as basketball Greg. And so after graduating university and doing really poorly when I graduated, because I didn't have that structure, I wasn't sure who I was, you know, all of that. Um, there was about a year and a half or two years where I was just like, like, what's going on? I was just, I was constantly confused, constantly frustrated, upset, lost. Um, and I was trying to find, find something. Uh, and then I came across a program here in Kamloops called Breath Integration Coaching and Training Center. And basically, it's uh, group therapy and individual one-on-one sessions. So one-on-one sessions with an empowerment coach. And then uh, group uh, therapy or group uh, sessions to work together to move through things. And with the trainings and stuff that I did with them in our group stuff, I really got to learn that I'm not the only one that feels this way, right? I got to learn that even though we all experience different scenarios in our lives, the outcome is the same, 
or very similar. So whether somebody loses a parent or somebody loses a basketball game, we're both experiencing a sense of loss. Now, it might not be the same scale of, you know, how it feels, but, you know, we're also humans again, and we also feel differently with one another in terms of like the levels of it, because, you know, if it was a nationals and you lost nationals or you lost your dog, um, to some, they can be polar opposites and some, they can be exactly the same. And so just with, you know, learning about that and understanding that I'm not alone, understanding that um, we're all feelers, we all feel something, we all experience life. Um, um, and it's important that we get to express those feelings. And so that's kind of what got me on to the whole concept of being a little bit more mindful and approaching sport um, in a way of, okay, well, I had a shitty practice today, but I know that we all have shitty days too. And so that brings a little bit more, you know, calming, uh, calm feeling, uh, brings actually more empowerment to me because it's like, okay, well, I know I'm not the only one here. I know there, there's support. I know there's other people feeling similar ways. Um, and so that's kind of what got me started. And then on top of it was I started to work with my empowerment coach, Amanda. Um, I've been dealing working with her for the last eight years. Uh, I would see her when I was competing heavily. I was seeing her every two weeks. Now I see her every three to four weeks. Um, and the reason why I see her is so that I can just have a little bit more of a non-biased approach to how my feelings and um, thoughts and experiences are going. It gives me an opportunity. It gives me a two-hour session in my daily life every three to four weeks where it's I can focus on me I can get support I can talk through my experiences I can talk through my feelings um, and I can have that support and safe place knowing that um, things are going to be okay that I'm good enough um, that the even if the outcome isn't what I had anticipated that I'll be okay trusting in the process trusting that uh, I will be okay no matter what whatever comes from it um, and so constantly practicing that with her and having that support from her as well as the team at uh, breath integration I think has just brought me to a more level place of understanding my thoughts and my feelings so that when I'm going into competition when I'm going into life I have tools, I have support that can help me move through certain situations. Um, I say this very, very firmly and very, very strongly, and I don't want it to come off as a bad thing, but I feel that every single human being needs to have some sort of support network, needs to have someone to talk to, whether it's a friend, family member, um, but um, Everybody needs to have that venting, that opportunity to talk to somebody. There are literally people in this world that get paid to talk to people, right? Yeah, and I, I, I agree with you. And I like the word, what you said. These people create a safe space. Um, and I mean, a lot of times you're going to talk to a friend, a family member, a coach. But also, like you said, again, to have someone who's unbiased, who's not necessarily connected to you um, from a relationship point of view whether it's a friend or a family and um when you come into the safe space you can talk to them 
with them out ju- without them having to judge you. So I think it's a combination of both having your support system, friends and family. Yeah. But I agree. If, if if everyone could have this person, I think it's totally beneficial for you just to, like you said, have your vent, um, good, bad, whatever it may be, just to you know release uh, that energy um, and turn yeah. it into a positive. Well, and the other important part too, and I appreciate you sharing that side too. I think, yeah, it's important that we have, you know, the support, whether it's friends and family, but I think it's also important that we have professional support. There you go. Yeah. Have, you know, we have these sports psychologists, psychiatrists, um, counselors, empowerment coaches, everything like that, that are in a professional setting, safe space that does allow us to be vulnerable with ourselves so that we can express and move through things and everything like that. But on top of it, and I hear this all the time. Well, I'll go see a counselor when problems happen, right? And that's counterintuitive to the whole concept of seeing somebody in the first place. Yeah. The reason why I always encourage people to start seeing people when there aren't problems is so that when a problem does arise, you already have the tools to help support yourself through that situation. Instead of being lost, confused, unknown, losing your mind now feeling like you're gonna one feeling like you're the only one experiencing it and then two you're not sure who who to reach out to for support because you don't want to reach out support because you feel uncomfortable about what's going on but if you flip it and start doing and working with somebody beforehand that discomfort of oh you know i I don't want to reach out to somebody you already have that person there Mm -hmm. right Oh, well, you know, um, I don't know what to do. You already have the tools now, right? And so, honestly, like, I harp on it a lot. When you are feeling great, go see a counselor. Yeah, you just, I was just going to say the exact same thing. Uh, people think, you know, when they're talking to these people, things are not so going so well. But, no, you talk to people when you're feeling good because – when you're not feeling good, well, you remember you had that conversation of what it felt to feel good, and you can bring back some of those memories, emotions, um, unconsciously, and you know, deal with the situation um, when the time comes. Like you're like you're saying, so you know, you go for different reasons, and all of them all of them are good reasons. There's no bad reasons to go and talk talk to someone. And I totally agree with you. These are people have to understand. These are tools to put in your tool belt, right? Um, your, your, uh, strength and conditioning coach, he's going to give you tools, you know, your sports psychiatrist, she's giving you tools. and you just keep collecting those tools because when you come across these moments, you know, you're equipped to deal with it, uh, the best way possible. And I think that leaves you with no regrets, uh, in the end, uh, whether you achieve this goal, you win, you lose, whatever it is, you know, that, Hey, I did, I reached out to everyone. I have my tool belts full and I did the best I could. And I can leave or I can walk away knowing, you know, happy or f- fulfilled, even though that that goal necessarily wasn't reached, but you've you've done that all you could instead of, you know, like you said, coming to a moment where you're just, your mind's all over the place and you don't know what to do. And it's now it's too late and you go down um, a little bit of the, the tough path to get you back on the good path, so to speak. Absolutely. So going into that and talking about mindset and, you know, prepping yourself. So obviously there's one thing to make to the Olympics, but um, you found yourself in a metal contention. Um, 
you know, how does that day look for you? It might even be a couple of days leading up, months leading up with regards to physical preparation, mental preparation, and the day of where you, um, you know, you got that gold medal. So if you can walk us through that, through that, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So trust is a really important thing when it comes to sport um, and your coach. Um, Leading up to the games, I was training in or sorry, Nanaimo, British Columbia, because Kamloops was heavy in smoke. Um, so we had a lot of forest fires going on that year, um, I guess, last summer. So leading up to the games, maybe like two, three months prior, uh, it was just trusting in the program that Dylan was giving me. Uh, Dylan Armstrong is my coach. He's a bronze medalist from the 08 uh, Beijing Olympics in shot put. Uh, absolute beast. Uh, by far the best uh, Canadian thrower ever to, uh, to come through uh, Canada. Um, and so, yeah, just trusting in his, his process, trusting in his guidance and everything like that. Um, and so I put a lot of, I put a lot of uh, trust in him, but a lot of trust in myself that what he's telling me is going to work. Um, and the unique thing, and I, I can share this really quickly. Um, when we talk about trust or we talk about things within other people, it's important to recognize that it's not the other person you're putting it in, you're putting it in yourself. Um, so often we get caught up thinking that, oh, well, I'm going to love this. I'm going to show up a bunch of love for that person. Um, but when in reality, it's you showing love for yourself. Um, however, having that said, if you don't trust yourself, you're probably not going to trust the other person. And I have the saying that, you know, if I'm going to give you an apple, I have to possess the apple. If I don't have an apple, what am I giving you? Right. You know, and it, it's important to do that. And so um, leading up to the games, I had a ton of trust in myself and I had a ton of trust in Dylan. And that's kind of where the game started. But then, of course, I'm a human. Mm -hmm. and, uh, three days before the meet. So we're in Tokyo now. Um, a second guessing everything. Um, I was working with our other sports uh, counselor, uh, Penny Werthner, incredible athlete herself back in the day. I think she competed in 76 and 80 Olympics, or sorry, I think 80 is when uh, they boycotted Moscow or whatnot. Um, but she, uh, you know, she was there to work with me and just kind of talk me through some simple things. Um, one of the things that I learned a lot on that conversation, though, you know, the few days before was like, uh, we I shared this with you already, but like we get so focused on the end result, yeah, and not on well, hey, what am I doing right now? Well, I'm, having, I'm sitting in a chair having a conversation with you, right? Uh, and that sitting in the chair having a conversation is far more important than the end result. And so, um, you know, she talked me through it, but you know, I got a little bit, ner I got nervous, and you know, grateful that I had her support and kind of got me moving forward. And then the night before the the games, you know, that, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to sleep. I'm not going to be able to do anything. And I went to bed at 10. And I was like quarter after 10. And I'm like, oh, no, am I going to have one of these nights? Like <laughs> and the next thing you know, I'm out. Um, it was like 1030 and I was asleep. So um, great. I woke up. I was ready to go. You know, I followed the, the protocol that won the COVID protocol for everything there. Um, but two, you know, the plan that Dylan and I had set up, you know, what my morning routine was going to look like, what my warm up was going to look like, what it was going to look like stepping into the ring, everything like that. And my biggest focus for the games was to keep my shot put tight in my neck. 
And so when I walked into the circle on my first throw, all I was yelling was tight, 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 tight for a, a, a cue for me to keep the shot put tight on my neck. And um, for those of you that don't know, uh, my very first throw in shot put uh, was the Paralympic record and my winning throw. And I threw 1675. Um, and it's kind of unique. Shot put's one of those sports where you throw and then you wait 15 minutes and then throw again, right? So there's a lot of time there where your mind can, you know, sway back and forth, you know, a time when judgment, you know, creeps in, oh, that guy threw better than me, or, you know, oh, I'm not that good, or, you know, oh, that was a bad throw, everything like that. So I luckily enough, and Dylan and I trained for it, that we're going to throw, we're going to try and throw as hard and as far as we can on the first, so that we can put the pressure on the people afterwards. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and so, yeah, I threw the Paralympic record on my first throw. Um, four out of my five throws um, would have been technically the top four throws in the competition. Uh, 1675, 1673, 1639, and 1629. Um, second place through 1629, so technically tied there. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, what I got from that experience, though, and that, you know, all the time leading up to me is just trusting in the process. Right, trusting in the fact that if I keep the shot put tight in my neck, that the rest will take care of itself. Trusting in the fact that the um, the the direction, the guidance, and the support Dylan's given me up to this point will allow me to do my very best. Trusting in the fact that even if I do poorly, it's all okay. That I'm going to be okay at the end, whether I finish last or first, I'm still going to be okay. Um, and trusting in the fact that, you know, I will always be good enough and that this metal won't define my value, right? The metal is a, a token of your hard work and appreciation to your sport, uh, but it doesn't define you as an individual. It You as an individual divine, defines you. And so, you know, tons of trust, uh, tons of integrity too, to all of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, just going out there and enjoying it, right? Being in the moment, right? Throwing, keeping it tight, but having fun and laughing and cheering on my teammates when they're racing and, you know, just being in that, right? This was my goal. My goal was to compete at the Paralympic Games. Yeah, and I like what you said too. I think sports is huge, is, is game, game cues and having that one cue. I mean, people may have two or three, but just that kind of is your trigger uh, to... Um, you know, to a greater pitcher, greater pitcher to throw the way you can throw, but kind of all the hard work that you put in into yeah. one word, even though it, it might be silly to someone else, to you that that word means is, means a whole lot than just keeping it tight to your neck, so to speak. So I think uh, you hear athletes talk about it all the time, having game cues, um, reciting certain words or passages to keep them honed in to, um, like you said, the moment. Um, but knowing and trusting the process that got you there uh, for that that day and that event is important. Absolutely. And I agree with your statement. It's a good statement you made with regards to winning a medal. And, you know, that doesn't defy you. And a lot of times uh, I've, I've talked to one Olympian athlete and he's like, when I look at my medal, like all I think about is like the hard hardships, the hard times, the blood, sweat and tears. Yes, that's rewarding. But like that's mentally exhausting. You know, like I only look at my medal every now and then because I don't want to be, I don't want to go through that again because <laughs> once is enough. Um, 
that's not your metal. It's, you know, it's who you are, you know, your character and what you bring, um, you know, like you're saying, as a person, as a whole. So I think that's a good point you made. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I want to kind of sum sum this up. You've made some, I mean, going back, it's funny, we start out your childhood all the way to uh, the Olympic Games and the process of, you know, as a kid being, being accepted. And, you know, I think that was kind of a, a theme throughout this conversation, even when you were going through a mental uh, hardship, finding a group of people that, you know, are accepting of you and what you're going through, although it doesn't look the exact same. Yeah, we're feeling these emotions and um, we're working together as a team. You talked about uh, trust in the process. And I mean, it's incredible what goes in to these four years, eight years, 16 years, however, whatever, however many Olympics you do and carrying on to life is there's so many messages within um, within some of the stuff you were talking about. Uh, and I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing that message. And I kind of want to leave here. We started the show, uh, Greg Stewart, you know, a Paralympian gold medalist, but you're a motivator. You're, you're someone who's leading by example in life. And I think that um, is more than that title of uh, gold medalist Paralympian, like we've been kind of, pre- uh, that we've started out with and kind of made this a full circle. So I appreciate all the, all the advice you've given to people who are going to listen. Uh, as well as the work you're preaching, I know outside of uh, outside of your sport, I know you do a lot of talking and all that stuff to share this message because people need to hear it, right? Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. You know, I, um, Ryan, this was an awesome interview. Um, I think you're going to go a lot of good places with this. Um, I think it's important that people just uh, know that it's okay to share, that it's okay to uh, you know be vulnerable, that it's okay to you know. Um, express your feelings Um, and that leads me to kind of my you know own today own your feelings own your emotions so that you can create a great tomorrow Um, and uh, that's 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 me awesome I appreciate uh, you coming on and spending the time with us for uh, this little time you have in your busy day I can imagine no problem I appreciate you having me thanks Ryan thank you